Folks, His name is wonderful, and He has proven Himself. Yeah, amen. Open your Bibles this morning with me, please, to the book of Romans, chapter number 6. And I'll read our text in just a few minutes. Romans, chapter number 6. You know, as we go through life, we, uh, we hear all kinds of different warnings. And uh, many of which we, we just tend to ignore. And uh, however, whenever someone, whether it be the doctor or whoever it might be, says this is a matter of life and death, that kind of gets our attention. Amen? Amen? You know, there's a lot of different things that are interesting. I was sitting there this morning at my desk, and I was thinking about all of the different subjects that we could talk about this morning, all of the interesting things that we could observe from God's Word. And then there are some things that uh, are important. A lot of things are interesting, not really important. Uh, we could have a pleasant time here this morning talking about some interesting things, but they really wouldn't be important. But then there are some things that are crucial. And uh, this message this morning is one of those things. It's not just interesting, not just important. It's absolutely crucial. In fact, I think you could put it at the very top of the list. You know, we make a lot of decisions in life about a lot of different things, but there, there, there's nothing more important than what I'm going to speak to you about this morning. Uh, the subject of my message this morning is death or life, question mark. You know, it's not just a matter of life and death. We're talking about a matter of heaven and hell. And the thing about it is, in a lot of a lot of stuff, we don't have any choice. You know, whether it's the color of our skin, whether it's our genetic makeup, regardless of what it is, we don't have any choice about that. It just is what it is, and we have to learn to, uh, to live with life as it comes to us. But in this, we have a choice about this, and we ought to thank God for that. Romans chapter 6 and uh, verse number 23 is where our text is found this morning. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is one of the very first verses that I memorized after I got saved. It's one of the key verses in what is commonly called the Romans Road that generally starts in Romans chapter number 3, actually by emphasizing the fact that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that there's none righteous, no, not one. And so, you know, having done that, and you might look at Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8, but although we're sinners, but God commendeth his love toward us. Amen. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This subject is so serious that I hope it will be so simple you know, a lot of times we think if it's serious, it's got to be complicated. But this is so serious, I hope it's so simple that even a child can understand it. That nobody goes away saying, well, I just didn't know what that preacher was talking about. 
This is one of the key verses in that part that we call the Romans road to salvation. The truth of this verse is key to any presentation of the gospel. This verse deals with the worst thing and with the best thing. It deals with sin and it deals with salvation. It talks about our most grievous problem and our most glorious possession. And so regardless of who you are, there's something here for each and every one of us because it speaks to the sinner and it speaks to the saint. There are three things as we look at this verse that I want you to get a handle on this morning. I want you to understand three things that's very clear. Notice, first of all, he speaks about the wages of sin. Notice he says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Sin's payment is described for us. He says wages. Notice how he is describing sin. He speaks of it as a wage. In other words, he is picturing sin here as a master that pays wages. And, of course, a wage is something that you earn. In other words, a wage is something that you receive as a result of what you've done. And what he wants us to understand is that sin has a payday. And don't misunderstand me. Sin produces misery every single day. For all of us, we're all affected by sin in some way. It might be your sin, it might have been Adam's sin, it might be somebody else's sin, but sin affects every single one of us every day of our life. But there's something beyond just the daily misery of sin. There is a judgment day. That is a payday, a time that has been appointed by God. And so... Don't believe those who say that we're suffering our hell here on earth. Don't believe those who say that all of the suffering that we're ever going to endure is here in this life because for the sinner, the worst is yet to come. Regardless of how good you have it, the worst is yet to come for you. So he describes sin, notice here, as a payment. But then notice the product of sin. He says the wages of sin, what's the product of that? He says it's death. And and you could apply that in several different ways, you know, but the bottom line is that sin is destructive. Sin kills. Uh, Sin destroys a nation, for example. It can destroy a community, a church, a family, an individual. Regardless of where it is working at, sin is destructive. Sin never creates anything good. It is something that is destructive. It's within its own nature to destroy. And we see that documented throughout the Word of God. But look, Folks, we don't even really have to look at the Bible to realize that, do we? Amen? Because we can, we can do that by observation, right? We can just look around us and look back through the history books and see how sin has literally destroyed people. Some of us don't have to look back through history. We don't have to look at the Bible. We look at our own experience. Before I got saved, nobody had to tell me that I was a sinner. Now, they needed to describe what sin was. I really didn't know what sin was. Oh, I thought I did, 
I really didn't understand what sin was, but I just knew that I was not the person that I ought to be. Whenever finally I finally gave in and went to church at the invitation of a friend, I went there hoping that I could find something that would help me. I had no idea what the gospel was, no idea what my real problem was, but I went there knowing that there's something wrong with me. I'm not what I ought to be. And you know, there's a sense in which I think that's true of every individual if they will be honest with themselves. And that's the hard part because our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. We seldom want to be really honest about our spiritual condition. In fact, we're usually not even thinking about our spiritual condition. We just want life to be, I just want to quit drinking. I just want to be a better husband. I just want to be a better daddy. I, I, I was an idiot. I was a fool. I was a no good for nothing. And I didn't want to live that way, but I couldn't live any other way. I realized that sin is destructive by observation. And uh, when you get over to Revelation chapter 20, I'm not going to read it all, but there in verse 11 and starting down through there. And he talks about the payday for sin. He talks about the fact that ultimately, eventually, every sinner will have to stand before God and give an account of themselves. And notice we go back to our text and notice the punishment, sin's punishment, and the fact that it's deserved. The wages of sin is death. But I want you to emphasize that word sin. When we think about the judgment bar of God, that great white throne judgment, when all of the sinners are standing there before God to give an account for themselves, it's all about sin. But what is sin? Well, the Bible says sin is the transgression of the law. It's a missing of the mark. It is a coming short. And so when we talk about the punishment for sin, punishment's what? Well, it's death. It's judgment. Not just physical death, but a spiritual death, which is separation from God forever. Uh, That's the ultimate wages of sin. But why in the world would we deserve such a punishment as that? I mean, something about that, you know, we we think of that and it just doesn't sound right. It's not politically correct, you know, to stand up and to say the whole world deserves to go to hell. You know, that's like hate speech in the ears of the world. And it's not something that most people want to hear because it's a blow to their ego. They think they're hot stuff. They think, you know, I'm not so bad. I could be a whole lot worse than what I am. Yeah, but if you're unsaved, you couldn't be any worse off than you are because you're dying and going to a devil's hell. It doesn't get any worse than that, folks. So how in the world can we say that the punishment of sin is deserved? Well, because sin is the transgression of God's law. You you, you see, you can't take God out of the picture here. It's God's law. Remember, He is the creator. He is the judge. He is the final authority in all matters. And nobody can point a an accusing finger at God and accuse him of being unfair. He is just in all of his ways. And the reason we don't understand it is because in reality we can't fully understand it because none of us are able to comprehend the holiness of God. 
God is so much better, so much greater than our minds can even imagine. God is perfect in all of His ways. Thank you, Brother Willie, for that song. He's wonderful. He's the great I Am. He's perfect in every single way. And understand that when you sin against God, you are violating the righteous standard of a holy God. God has every right to impose any kind of a requirement or commandment upon us that He so desires. He has a right to do that, folks. He's God. We're not. He has a right to do that. And we have no right to violate His law. And yet the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we've all by nature violated that. We're sinners. Violated God's righteous standard, flaunted our rebellion in the face of God. So we see here the wages of sin, and God wants us to understand because this is where we got to start. If we do, if we don't understand this, we were we're never ever going to be concerned about what Christ did on the cross. In, in fact, we'll be like we'll be like those who said it's foolishness. It doesn't even make any sense that God would do something like that. But it makes a lot of sense when you realize that you are a sinner, that you have violated God's righteous standard, and you are deserving of, of whatever punishment He imposes upon you. Now, that's, that's all the bad news, and you have to start with the bad news to get to the good news. And the good news is, notice here, not only the wages of sin, that's the bad news, but notice the wonder of salvation. The gift of God is eternal life. Man, this, this just thrills my heart. Man's greatest need did not go unnoticed by God. Isn't that something? Now think about it. The God of all of the universe, the God who, who is holding all of the stars there and keeping them right in their orbit, the God who is controlling all of nature and far beyond what you and I can see or even imagine, that God has His focus on each and every one of us. He knows what our need is, and He made plans to meet that need. It wasn't some sort of an emergency plan God had to kick in gear because he didn't ever dream that man would sin against him as good as he was. Why, you know, and so, you know, poor old God, he's got to do something to, you know, to get us out of this mess that we're in. Oh, no. God knew about that even before the world was created. That's why the Bible speaks about Christ being the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, you see. God saw our situation and God provided a solution. Now notice the source of salvation here. He says that it is the gift of God. Now, a gift is not a wage. Notice he's talking about the wages of sin, but now we're talking about a gift. You earn a wage, but all you can do is receive a gift. You can't earn salvation. Ephesians verse 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not of works. 
regardless of how many churches you join, regardless of how much good work you do, you can never earn your way into heaven. It is a gift. But look, it's not just a gift. It is a gift from God himself. It says the gift of God. He's wanting us to understand that he is the only way to salvation. There's nobody else who can provide that gift. It's the gift of God. And notice the substance of it. He says it is eternal life. Salvation is not just a new start. Salvation is a new creature. Salvation is not just us having another opportunity. It is a total change where God makes us a new creation. He gives us a new life as the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. We think about, you know, originally being separated from God. That's what the Bible says, that sin separates us from God. That's what spiritual death is. You know, you talk to a lot of people about the fact that they are spiritually dead, you know, and they look at you like you've lost your mind because they think of themselves, well, I'm just as much alive as you are. Well, if you understand that death is separation, death is not uh, uh, annihilation, it doesn't mean that you cease to exist. You're dead in the sense, remember whenever the Lord told Adam, in the day that you eat of that fruit, you're going to die. Well, he didn't die then, not physically. He lived 930 years. He didn't die then, did he? So what's God talking about? He's talking about spiritual death. That you're spiritually going to be separated from me. He is our source of life. Without Him, there is no spiritual life. Regardless of how much you pamper your body, regardless of how much you entertain your soul, you're never going to meet your spiritual needs till you receive the gift of salvation. The wages of sin, it's death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But notice now, He doesn't stop there. He's emphasized the wonder of salvation, but notice he tells us the way of salvation, that we receive eternal life, the gift of God. Notice he says, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation is free, but folks, it's not cheap. Romans 8.32 says of God that he spared not his only son, but delivered him up for all. You see, it's available to all of us. There's some folks who don't believe that, by the way. There are some folks, most of those popular preachers that you listen to on radio and television, most of them are Calvinistic in their doctrine. You'd be, listen, you'd be shocked if you knew how many churches all around the Houston area, I'm talking about even Baptist churches, a lot of the preachers won't get up and preach it because they know it'll offend people and they'll leave. But if you'll sit down and talk with them, ask them what they believe about predestination and election and so forth. And what you're going to discover is they believe that God has predestinated some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell. You're either one of the chosen or you're not. And i got to tell you folks, that is not what the Bible teaches. You say, preacher, don't you believe in predestination? I surely do. God predestinated the way unto salvation. Notice he says here, Christ died for all. 
God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Not just a little select chosen handful over here somewhere, but He died for all. The Bible says He tasted death for every man. So salvation's available only because of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then is it appropriated? You know, being available is one thing. Being appropriated is another. Right? I mean, I could stand up here and let me see if I've got a dollar. No, I don't. Honey, have you got a dollar? <laughs> I've got a 20 here. But you can get the point without it costing me anything, can't you? And I could hold that up there and... And I could say to these kids, if, if you really trust me and believe me, if you'll come up here and get this, I'll give it to you. Now, that would, that would be a gift. But if I said, now look, you've got to turn somersaults all the way up here, do a flip-flop or whatever, you know, uh, that'd be something they'd have to earn. But I'm talking about if it was a gift. God has promised us salvation as a gift. But He has made it available. It's there for every single person. But we have to appropriate it unto ourselves. In other words, we have to receive what He offers. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm so glad that God is so deeply concerned about us that He provided the one thing that is sufficient to satisfy His justice. Amen. Amen? And that is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, Nothing else would suffice. I could have gathered up all of the good works of all of the good people all across the globe. And if it were possible for me to transport all of those good works up to the very throne of God and offer them up to God for my entrance into heaven, the Lord would say, it's not good enough. It's like filthy rags. You see, because a sinful person doesn't have anything to offer God. There had to be a sacrifice made. And that's why God, when He could do it no other way, God decided that He would do it Himself. And God stepped down from the portals of glory and wrapped Himself in a robe of flesh. And God became man. And God lived a life of perfection upon this earth and presented Himself as a sacrifice. He didn't have to do that. We talk about, you know, about those unbelievers and those heathen in that day and them crucifying the Lord. But the fact of the matter is, He gave His life. He said, no man takes it from me. I have the power to lay it down, which He did, and I have the power to take it up again, which He did. He made every provision for us. It is a present from God. That's why Paul said, thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. It is a personal relationship with God. You see, salvation is more than just a set of beliefs. It's a personal relationship with God. You can know about God without really knowing God personally. And that's exactly what the problem is with a lot of people, you see. They know about God. They've heard about God since they were little kids. It might be they were raised in church. 
They know that he was born of a virgin. They know he died on the cross. They know he, you know, arose from the grave and ascended back into heaven. And they've even heard the preacher talk about the fact that, uh, that he's going to come back someday. They know all of that. But the Bible says the devil believes and he trembles. Let me tell you, the devil knows a whole lot more about it than you do. And he's nowhere near able to go to heaven. Amen? It's not just knowing the facts. It's not giving your mental assent to historical facts. It's going to get you into heaven. It's having a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. It doesn't get any better than that. A personal relationship. But it's also a present reality. Some folks got the idea that what's going to happen is we're going to die and then, you know, someday that we're going to, we're going to stand up there before the judgment bar of God and God's going to weigh all of our good works here and all of our bad works there. And if our good works outweigh our bad works, He's going to let us come into His heaven. It doesn't work that way. Salvation is a present reality. If you're unsaved, you're condemned already, the Bible says. If you are saved, you have a personal relationship. That's why the Apostle John said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. He didn't say someday we're going to be the sons of God. He didn't say, I hope that, you know, that I'll make it to heaven. He says, now we are the sons of God. You'll never be more a child of God than you are right now. Even whenever you're in heaven skipping down Hallelujah Avenue, kicking up gold dust under your feet and shouting glory, 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 you'll never be more of a child of God than what you are right here, right now, this morning if you're saved if you've received his gift you have a a a present salvation but notice how permanent this relationship is he says that the gift of god is what kind of life eternal life now we look at that word eternal you know and we generally think about only from the standpoint of the quantity Amen. We think about it, in other words, being forever. And it is. I mean, it's, we talk about something being eternal that we'll always be a child of God. Look, if I have eternal life today and I lose it tomorrow, it wouldn't have been eternal yesterday, right? So you take all of these denominations that teach that you can lose your salvation. They don't have what we've got. Because we have eternal life. That's why we talk about having eternal security. We have something we can never lose. If you're a child of God, you'll never be anything but a child of God. You're not perfect, but all of your sins are under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for the permanent nature of our relationship. Something that we cannot lose, something that we cannot forfeit. But when we think about that word eternal and look at the true meaning of it, it goes beyond the quantity into the quality. Sometimes we forget about that part. And the quality of your salvation is seen in the fact that you have eternal fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Listen to how Paul describes it. He says that in the ages to come, this is Ephesians 2 and verse 17, that in the ages to come, aren't you glad you have a future in Christ and it's a future that's secure? In the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace. Let that sink in. 
the exceeding. You see, Paul is searching for superlatives. He, there's just no way to describe the riches of Christ. So he says it's the exceeding riches of Christ in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. In the ages to come, you, somebody, somebody, you know, talks about what we're we going to do in heaven. My poor old daddy back, back before he made a profession of faith, and now he died and has gone to heaven and. And he was serious as a heart attack whenever he said, son, he, he said, will we be able to do things we enjoy in heaven? I, I, I knew what was coming next. He said, can you, I mean, like fish? I said, well, I don't know, Daddy. There's going to be water up there, you know, but uh, I'm not so sure about the fishing. And look, let me tell you something. Some people get all worried about what we're going to do in heaven. I'm telling you, I think every day, every minute, in fact, there's not even time up there. Well, I'm talking about days and nights, and there's no night there. But but in, in, in this matter that we call time, I believe every second is going to be a new discovery, a constant discovery, a, a constant revealing of the riches, the exceeding riches of Christ. Here's what I want you to notice. Paul has set before us a contrast here in our text this morning. There's life and there's death. Life and death. The bad news, the wages of sin is death. The good news, the gift of God is eternal life. Now, you have to make a choice. Listen to what God said to Israel many, many years before that. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, he says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Do you understand that some of you here today are facing that exact same choice? I'm so glad that I can look back to a time and a place where I faced that choice. I was a sinner just like every other person. I'd violated God's righteous standard. I deserved to go to a devil's hell. And I was faced with that choice. And I stood there in that pew that day when the invitation was given and thinking myself as this big tough guy and I'm telling you my legs were trembling and my hands were shaking. And I don't know the justification for what the preacher said next, but I'm glad he did. He said if you'll just take one step, that God will help you take the rest. And I thought, well, I'm a pretty tough guy. I can surely take one step, but I couldn't because I just kept going. And I fell on my face there at that old altar of prayer and there. Don't get all bent out of shape and excited. Now, that scares some people to talk about praying and what have you. I, you're not saved by your prayers. People accuse us all the time. They've accused us, I'm telling you, of believing that you have to pray to get saved. You don't pray to get saved. Amen. You can call on the Lord in the sense that you're trusting the Lord and you express your faith in the sense that you confess to God that I'm a sinner and I believe that Jesus loved me and gave Himself for me and I'm trusting Him to save me according to your promise. 
But I'm just so glad that I'm able to look back and to know that that day I was faced with a choice and you are faced with a choice here today. And that choice is to either receive the Lord Jesus Christ or to reject Him. You're going to receive Him or refuse Him, one of the two. You can't remain neutral. You can't walk out that door, you know, thinking to yourself, well, you know, I'm not going to reject Him. No, you already have. To not receive Him, that, that would be like stepping over the precious blood of the Son of God that was shed for your sins and for us to just trample that underfoot like it is worthless and meaningless to us. And by the way, you don't know if you'll ever have another opportunity or not. So, I'm pretty sure I know, you know, everybody, everybody probably ought to be a Christian, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to wait. I, I want to sow my wild oats. I want to live it up a little and experience life. You might die before you get out there to 1960. You don't know. We're one heartbeat, one breath away from eternity. And so the question is, have you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? It's only one or two options. It's life, death, heaven, or hell. The wages of sin is death, spiritual death, eternal death. You, you see, we all have, we all exist somewhere for eternity. Sometimes, you know, we think about, well, you know, I know I'm not going to heaven, but but at least I'll die and be out of my suffering and it'll all be over. No, no, it's not going to be all over. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. And where you spend eternity is going to be decided by the choice that you make concerning Jesus Christ. Why would you refuse Him? Why would, why would you delay even one more day when you have God's promise that you can become a child of God right here, right now, and have all of your sins forgiven, your name recorded in the book of life, and have a per permanent relationship with God. That can happen here this morning. It happened to me. It happened to Brother Preston. It's happened to most of these people here. And nothing would make them happier than seeing that happen to you this morning. Will you trust Him as your Savior? We're going to stand. Tim's going to come. The musicians, we're going to sing a verse of invitation. And while we sing this morning, if you're here and you've never received Christ as your Savior, we want to beg you, encourage you, any way that we can, for you to come and to receive Christ as your Savior. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, but preacher, I, I've got some questions. Well, we've got the answers right here and brother preston or i or any of our deacons or teachers will be glad to get right down here with you and take the bible and show you what god says about it because god's not confused about it at all and if you'll listen to him you don't have to be confused either whosoever shall call on the name of the lord shall be saved will you trust him this morning while we sing come on